What would happen to you if your heart stopped working? You'd die. Yeah, you'd die. Okay. What would happen if your lungs decided to give up? You die. Yes. Wow. Okay, what would happen if your brain decided, I'm going to shut down and I'm not going to work anymore? You die. There we go. Wow, you have a theme going on right here? Okay, what would happen if your liver decided, hey, I'm only just going to work once a month, one day a month? What would happen to you? You would die. Okay, what would happen if your kidneys or your pancreas uh, stopped, uh, stopped working and decided, I don't want to be part of your body any longer? You would die. What would happen if your legs and your arms got cut off? You can tell we're not in kids' church, but then we're like, you'd die. And what, what would happen if your legs and your arms got cut off? You would walk slower. You sure would. Trust Mike to say that. You wouldn't what, sorry? You wouldn't tie your shoes anymore. Ladies wouldn't be able to buy shoes anymore. Okay, last question. What would happen if you lost your big toe and your little toe? Yeah, you'd fall over. You'd fall over. It's amazing because your big toe and your little toe give you balance. And without a big toe or a little toe, then you're probably going to fall over and you're not going to be able to walk. So those arms and legs that you haven't lost are not going to be any good to you. Every part of the body has a function. And without it, we can't function as we ought to function. You have been designed in every single part of your body to function in such a way. Some parts are more important than keeping us alive than than others. If you lost your big toe and your little toe, you're not going to die, but you're still not going to be able to function. But if you lost your heart or your brain or your lungs, then you would, in fact, die and cease to exist. But every part has a function. And if one part of your body doesn't work as it ought to work, then you cannot function at the capacity that you were designed to function. You know, the Bible talks about the body a lot. And it tells us that as a church, we are what we call the body of Jesus Christ. The body of Jesus Christ. We're not a physical body of Jesus Christ, but the Bible calls us like a spiritual body of Jesus Christ. Let me explain to you. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, it says this. It says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body, by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? If 
but our bodies have many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. So your eyes are there for a reason. Your eyes aren't like here or here. I'll be careful where I point. They're there for a reason. Your nose is there for a reason. Your mouth is there for a reason. God has placed those parts in your body there for a reason. But our bodies have many parts. God has put each part where he wants it. How strange a body would be if only there was one part. Yes, there are many parts, but one body. And I can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care. Then it says, so God put the whole body together such that extra honor and care are given to those less parts or that those parts that have less dignity. I'm just thankful for that this morning. I'm thankful that we're clothed and our parts with less dignity are covered. Just say it. It says, this makes harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. Then he says this, all of you together. Now he's talking to you as a church. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Every one of you, you are part of Christ's body. And every one of you, you have a part to play in it. Unless you are an appendix. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't think the appendix has like any value to our bodies at all. The only thing that appendix does is rumble and cause us to get sick and we have to get an operation. But every other part of our body has a function that we are aware of. And you, this morning, you are part of a church. And you are not just a part that hangs on, but you are a significant player within this church. You have a significant part to play. You may not be a preacher. You may not feel that you can lead a small group. You may not be a worship leader or be able to play instruments. But it doesn't matter because whatever your part is, it is vital. And some of these other parts like preaching and worship leading and, and leading the kids. Sometimes it can seem that those are the vital parts. But the reality is some of the smallest parts of this church, some of the smallest things that people do are the most vital things in this church. And every one of you, you have a part to play. Why? Because you are significant to this church. And this morning, you may feel that you are just like a big toe or a little toe. And you feel that your life is just insignificant. You feel that you really don't have anything to give to this church. Well, if you are a big toe or a little toe this morning, I tell you, you still have a significant part to play. Because God has a part for you. So when we started going through the book of Acts, and we've been going through it for several weeks now, 
in chapter 1, we discover the purpose of the church. We discover the purpose, why there is a church, any church. Why did Jesus create a church? Why did he leave 12 disciples with some other people? And he said to them, he says, that you will be my church and I will build my church. Well, we discover the purpose of the church is this. It's to be able to go and tell the good news of Jesus. Basically, tell the story of what Jesus has done in your life to a community and a world out there who is so far from God. The Bible says that they are hidden in darkness, but you have been called into light. And the purpose of the church is to help people see the light of God. And so that's the very purpose of the church. And this morning, that's the purpose of this church, Generation Church. It's, it, the purpose is, is for us to, to get together and be able to tell our story, tell the message of Jesus Christ. Because in that message, in that story, there are the words of life, of freedom, and of salvation. And this morning, if you've come into this place and you've never heard the words of life, of freedom, and of salvation, these are the words that Jesus Christ came into this world. He lived a sinless life. He died a terrible death, but three days later, he rose again from the dead. And through that horrific event, he saved the souls of mankind. And he became what we call, he put on sin. And he became almost like a sacrificial lamb. A sacrifice for you and me, because the Bible says that the wages of our sins are death. And Jesus paid that penalty. He took our death. And many of you this morning, God has done that in your life. He has taken your life and and he has made you into something new. Your, Your life now doesn't just flow with your life. It now flows with the life of Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning, then your purpose is to go and tell the story of Jesus Christ. What Jesus has done in your life to those who do not know Jesus Christ. So in order to tell a story, in order to tell this good news, we need a mouth. You can't tell a story without a mouth unless you do sign language. And I don't do sign language. So you need a mouth. But yet, a mouth would be nothing if you didn't have a vocal cord. Because if you had a mouth and it said nothing and no noise came out of the mouth, then it would be useless. And a mouth would be useless if you didn't have a brain to program what that mouth was going to say. And that mouth would be useless if you didn't have a heart and lungs that would then pump blood and oxygen into your brain in order to tell the mouth what to say. And then your mouth would be useless if you didn't have a liver or kidneys to make sure that the toxins uh, are removed from our blood and our oxygen that feed the brain. And then our mouth would be useless if we didn't have a stomach that would be able to turn our food into energy and nutrients so we can feed the other parts of the body. And so this morning, it's not just good enough to have a mouth. You need all the other parts of the body to make the mouth work. And so it is for us. In order to fulfill our purpose that this church was created for, everybody needs to play their part. Because every one of you is so vital to this church. Because everybody 
everyone has a different part to play. And it's when those parts come together that the body functions and the church functions as it ought to. So Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, we see uh, a story of an event that happened. Now, the Bible tells us that the church, the very first church, the early church, the one that had like Peter, James, and John in, it had exploded in incredible growth. God had, had used this church in incredible ways. And now they'd come to a point where there was almost too many people to know what to do with. Last week we talked about how the church had no needs. There was no needy people in the church, which to me is pretty incredible. But now in the midst of them growing, in the midst of lives being changed, in the midst of all these healings happening, people being raised from the dead, in the midst of the community talking about Jesus, suddenly we see something that happens. And it happens in every church. And it's called discontent. This is what Acts chapter 6 says says, but as the believers, as this first church rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. And let me tell you this morning, you will never go into the perfect church. If you go to a church where there is not some discontent anywhere, just sit down for a while because eventually somebody will be discontent. And you know what? I find that some of the biggest churches some of the largest growing churches, things where everything is going great and wonderful and on the service, everything is great. Some of them have the biggest discontent within the people in the church. Because just because you're growing, just because God is doing things, it doesn't mean people don't get discontent. And it says there, there were rumblings of discontent. And this is what happened. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. There was a friction between like two races. And they said that their widows, the Greeks complained because they said their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So that you have these widows who obviously couldn't take care of themselves and there was no welfare state to take care of them, so the church took care of them. The church housed them, the church clothed them, uh, the church fed them. And every day the church would distribute food to these widows so that they wouldn't go hungry. And in verse 2, it says, So the twelve called a meeting. That was, the, that, that was Jesus' disciples, the apostles. They called a meeting of the believers, and they said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God and not running a food program. So the brothers selected seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit. And we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word of God. It says everybody liked this idea. I kind of chuckle when I, when I read that. Because I can imagine if these apostles were like most pastors. They're not very good at like caring for widows. Now I'll be honest this morning. I, I have a very limited gift set. And the older I get the more limited I realize my gift set is. Now one of my, one of my gifts I know is not compassion and empathy. I actually have a hard time when you guys are going through a hard time. I'll be honest with you. You know, you, you may have been going through the hardest time in your life, and I just sometimes have a hard time relating. And I try my best, so I really do. But I realize that my gifts, my talents, my gifts, 
are not really the caring type of gifts. Now, I do care for you guys, and I do love you, so don't worry about that. But I know that's gifted, so I struggle in it. And I can imagine these apostles, they were there. God was using them in mighty ways, but then they had these widows who needed to be fed. And I bet they were the worst carers of widows out there. I bet they they couldn't probably organize this food. It was all over the place. They probably mixed all the food together, and it tasted really bad. The Bible says that they came up with this idea, let's select some other people to do this ministry. And the Bible says everybody was pleased. And I bet they were pleased. It would be like if, if you came to my house and I cooked for you. And after a couple of weeks of me cooking for you, if you came, say, every day. And I says, you know what? I'm going to have my wife now cook for you. I guarantee every one of you, you will be pleased. And I think this is the same thing in this church. These apostles were great men. But they weren't the best at caring for widows. And so it continues, and it says, everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit. Then Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert of the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish uh, priests were converted too. There was rumblings of discontent. You know, one thing when I read Acts, what I discover about this church is that this church was one big family. One big family. They weren't related by blood, but there was something within them that they were, they, they were so valued family that anybody who would come to their church would be part of their family. There were people from different backgrounds, different educational levels. There were some with different belief systems even. There were some who spoke different languages, some of different colors. And you know what this church did? They embraced every one of them. And they called them family. You know, this is the same for us. One thing I love about our church is the fact that we have people from so many different backgrounds. I'm like, as I look over you guys and I think about the people in our church, there are people from so many different uh, walks of life. Maybe you've come from, uh, from a poor upbringing or a rich upbringing. And we've come together. Maybe, maybe you've come from, from a, 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 an urban environment or a rural environment, and we've come together. Maybe, maybe you're someone who didn't even graduate from high school, or you're someone who you're working towards your doctorate, and we've come together. Maybe you're black or white or Hispanic or English, and we've come together. You know, maybe you're Catholic or you're Baptist or Presbyterian or you're crazy Pentecostal and we've come together. And that's what I love about our church because we're from so many different backgrounds. But one thing I see is that we are a family. We are a family. And just as a family is made up as, as so many different people and personalities, so are we a family. 
And however wonderful a family is, and if you ever have an opportunity to spend time with a family who love one another, it is a wonderful place to be. But there is always going to be parts of the family that feel left out, that feel hurt, that maybe feel discontent and feel down. And this is what happened in Acts chapter 6. There were parts of their family who felt left out. There were two different sets of people. You've got the Greek speakers and you've got the Hebrew speakers. And the majority of the apostles were Hebrew speaking. And so, no wonder the Greeks came and said, look, you're discriminating against us. You're you're giving the food more to the Hebrew widows than the Greek widows. And they complained. And the apostles, instead of just thinking, oh no, everything's falling apart. Instead of just trying to work harder and harder, they got together and they worked through a solution. And I believe, honestly, it's sometimes in those times of discontent that God brings you into a place of contentment. Because it's not until you become discontent that you start to think outside the box. You start to to look at life in a different way and you start to rely on God. And this is what these apostles did. They suddenly started to work outside of the realms of the box that they had made for themselves. And this morning, I want to share with you very quickly just three things that I believe that these apostles learned in this situation. And if you have a pen or paper, I would encourage you, write these down. The very first thing I think they learned was this. They realized that not everyone can do everything. Not everyone can do everything, but, there's a but, there is a role for everyone. Not everyone can do everything, but there is a role for everyone. The Bible says that these apostles came to the people and they said, we have been called to preach the word of God and to pray. We haven't got time to be taken away with a food program. Let's select from ourselves some people who can take care of this food program. On the surface, it kind of looks a little arrogant. It looks like, hey, this food program's a little beneath us. But the reality was the apostles knew what they were gifted in, and they weren't gifted in looking after the widows. And they realized they could not do everything, but there was somebody who could do it within their church. These apostles were amazing men, but they had a lot of faults. And the answer, find people who are gifted in the area and then let them run with that that responsibility. And you know, it's a very biblical practice to do that. Very biblical. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, it tells us, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So the gifts that God has given you, use them well to serve one another. And then he also says uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 6 to 8, it said, In his grace, God has given us gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, Speak out with as much faith as God has given you. 
If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So there we see, if God has given you a gift, use it. Use that gift that God has given you. For he's given it you for you for a purpose. Because not everyone can do everything, but everybody has a role to play. You know what? I want to give you a revelation this morning. Alex Pendock can't do everything. I know it's a shock to some of you, but the reality, I can't. I have a very limited skill set. And if I did everything, then I'll be honest, you would not want to come back ever again. But you, every one of you, you have skills and gifts and talents that just blow me out of the water. And there's areas that you will excel in. There's areas that if you let God just take control and you use those gifts and those talents in, then God will use you in ways that you cannot imagine. You know, an eye cannot smell. An eye cannot smell. An eye can try to smell, but an eye can't smell. But a nose. Now a nose, a nose smells. And when a nose smells, a nose smells better than anything else in this world. And for you, you have gifts and your talents. And if you use those gifts and talents, God will use you in ways that you could not imagine. Because not everyone can do everything, but everyone has a role to play. I also think that the the disciples through this situation discovered And they realize that no matter your spiritual maturity, there is no job that is too small. No matter your spiritual maturity, there is no job that is too small. And I think they discovered this, that in every family, everybody has chores to do. Everyone has chores to do. Look at this. I'm amazed by this man. His name is Stephen. And he was one of the guys that they selected to, to, to feed the widows. And it says this. It says in, in Acts 6, chapter 5, uh, sorry, Acts uh, chapter 6, verse 5, it says, everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, it says this, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. You got this man, Stephen. Stephen is like full of God. Stephen is being used of God in amazing ways. He's going out in the, into the marketplace, into the community, and he is performing miracles. People are seeing signs and wonders. People are being healed because of Stephen. Stephen is an awesome man of God. But yet, I wonder if Stephen came into our church. I wonder if Stephen came into many churches, you know, in our area. 
Most of us, we would probably want to elevate him to become an elder or a preacher or an evangelist. We'd bring him onto the church board and, and we would have him as one of the main leaders. Because look how God is using Stephen. But not the apostles. The apostles took this man who was so full of God and he did a job that, let's be honest, most of us, we would think anybody could do that job. Feeding widows. This was a spiritually mature man. And I love the attitude of this man. There was something so special about him. Because he realized that there was no role that was too small in the church. And I honestly believe because the early church believed that every role in the church was equally important. So whether you were preaching, whether you were praying for somebody, whether you were singing worship songs, whether you were leading the kids or you were just greeting at the door, every one of them realized that every role was equally important. And that is the way a church should be. Because we're a body. And as the body functions, every part is vital. We're a family. And in the family, we need everybody to come and do their part. You know, I have an uncle, Uncle Adrian. He's like an old school pastor. He does everything in his church. He leads worship. He preaches. He counsels. He greets. He probably even passes communion around. And Uncle Adrian believes in church that the pastor should do everything. I don't think it's biblical myself, but I've had plenty of discussions. But it's funny because he does everything at church, but when he goes home, he has this very different attitude. He's like really old school. He sits there, and his, my auntie's name is named Hazel. And he's like, Hazel, make me a cup of tea. Hazel, what's for dinner? Hazel, go and put the dishes away. That's what he does. He does no chores in the home at all. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm like, I get really angry. I'm like, dude, do something, you know? Be a man, stand up. But he doesn't do anything in the house at all. And it's so funny because he does everything at church but nothing at home. And the reality is, is every one of you, you may have kids or uh, you, you, you may be married, you may be in a house with other people, you know that everybody has chores to do, right? Because if one person always does the same thing, then that person is going to get very tired, very annoyed, very discontent. I know my Auntie Hazel is very annoyed with my Uncle Adrian all the time. And the reality is we're a family in this church. The early church, they were a family. And when you become part of the church, I'll be honest with you, there's chores to do. There's some roles that we don't like to do. And I'll be honest, there's some mornings that I get up on a Sunday morning and I just want to roll over and go back to bed because I don't want to get up and set up and tear down. I don't want to have to put the signs out. I don't want to just have to make the coffee for everyone else. But sometimes I feel like that. But the reality is I know, and I know many of you know, there are still chores to do. Because there is no role that is too small within a church. No role that is too small within a church. And just because a role may seem lonely, or we may have to get out of bed real early on a Sunday morning that we want, it's what you call being part of a family. Being part of a family. 
Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, he says, I have come not to be served, but to serve. And the reality is, if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, then the goal of your life should be to become more like Jesus. And if we're to become more like Jesus, then we should be serving more than we should be served. I also think the final thing this morning I want to share with you, I think the, 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 these apostles, through this, this situation of discontent, they found out that when everyone in the family becomes responsible, the family multiplies. When everyone in the family becomes responsible, the family multiplies. Look what it says in, uh, in, in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. There was this time of discontent. Most of us think, oh no, the church is coming crashing down. And it says this. So God's message continued to spread. Then the numbers of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. They sorted this problem out. Everybody started to serve in the individual areas. And what happened? The church grew. People found faith in Jesus Christ. More people were healed. More lives were restored. More people found new life in Jesus Christ. Why? Because they started becoming responsible. And a body that functions well is a body that achieves more. In your body, if you know something isn't functioning well, you cannot achieve to the standard that you want it to achieve. But when it all starts to function well, your body starts to achieve more. And when everything is going well, there are no limits. The issue, this issue was hurting the early church, yet once they corrected it, they grew, they multiplied, and they had more people than what they had ever had before. And you know, this morning, I believe that God wants to bless his church. And that means you, because you're part of a church, part of a family. God wants to bless you. But I honestly believe in, in this church, in Generation Church, I've been feeling it for a while. I feel that we are on the verge of God just exploding in blessings and in ways that we could not imagine. I honestly believe that we as a church, we are going to start to see God move in ways that we could only dream of. I think God's going to wake us up and shake us up a little. I think there's people who are going to come through our doors and we're going to be able to reach out and, and tell our story to. People who, who will find faith in Jesus Christ, who we thought could never find faith in Jesus Christ. I think this church is going to start to shine as a light that is so bright that this community around is going to start to wake up and see this light. I think a generation of people who are so far from God are about to turn back to God. However, I don't think it's going to happen unless the family become responsible. For when a family becomes responsible, it multiplies. That scripture I want to share with you today, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. It says this, it says, Work willingly, whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Work willingly at whatever you do as it was for the Lord and not for people. And this morning, my desire is that you'll become, if you're not part of this family, you'll become part of this family. And you'll find a role to play in this church. And there's plenty of roles to play in this church. 
But my desire is that, that you should do it out of pressure or you do it because, oh man, I've got another chore to do. But you will do it willingly. Because when you serve, you serve unto God, not people. And the reality is, is when you serve unto God and not people, people start to find faith in Jesus Christ. And the reality is this morning is that that is our purpose. Our purpose for this church is not to have a nice church service. It's not to make sure all the roles are covered. It's so that people find faith in Jesus Christ. But it starts with us becoming responsible. There's a place for you at this family. We not only want you, but we need you. Do you know why we need you? Because you have gifts and talents, a view of life, a personality that this body requires to function. It doesn't matter if you've been walking this journey of faith for years upon years, or you still are questioning whether to jump on this journey of faith. You're still part of the family. And this morning, this is a safe place for you. Why? Because we are family, and family is a safe place. And I ask you this morning, as you look around this church, what do you see? What do you see? How do you think we could function better as a church? What are some of the things that maybe you're a little discontent with? What are the, what are the areas or the holes that you see that think, well, we need to be doing this or that? You know what I've discovered? When God starts to work those things on your heart, it's probably because those are the areas that God wants you to start to function in. And those are the places that God has a part for you. This morning I ask you today, what chores are you willing to do? How responsible are you willing to be? You know, as I look upon the, the, this church, I see so many good things. So many good things. God has blessed us and, 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 and the people of this church are amazing. So many good things. But I also see so many holes. A lot of holes. I see some people who are very responsible, very responsible. And I'll be honest with you this morning, and this isn't for anyone in particular at all, but I do see there are those, and you're a little bit more like my Uncle Adrian, kind of feed off others. I see those who are functioning their gifts and their talents, and you're starting to excel. And God is using you. But I see others who are functioning in areas that they're not gifted in because they're filling a hole. And the reality is, is when you function in an area that you're not gifted in, you're going to struggle. You're going to get worn out. You're going to get overwhelmed and you may even get burnt out. I've been there myself. But this body, this church, we're a family. And a church cannot function unless you function. And I ask you this morning, will you be like a big growth kind of on this body that just feeds off everyone else? Or will you be a fully functioning part that works and and flows with the other parts of the body to fulfill the purpose and and the vision of this church? And that is to reach a generation of people who are living at this moment, but they're living outside the love and the life of Jesus Christ. I ask you this morning, will you help us show this world 
that the church of Jesus Christ is beautiful. And we're a family, and they belong and are welcome into this family.